today in particular um, on my heart as we're beginning a, a new message series called Circles. And I'll, I'll explain that and unpack that for you here a little bit more. If we could get some more lighting on the stage here, uh, that'd be great. Just so the people that are joining us online and from Eureka, um, by the way, while I'm at that, hey, you hope Eureka, we love you guys. We're so glad that you can join us today. Come on, can we give it up for our brothers and sisters in Eureka? Two weeks in a row, you got me. You're stuck with me. And we love Pastor Jeremy and Sheetal and every, everything that God is doing up in Eureka. And we're glad that you can join us for this first message series. I believe God is going to use it to do a great work in the community there. And for those of us who are also who are joining online, I'm so grateful. I know that there's a lot of people are dealing with some crud and sickness. It's, it's kind of the middle of winter. It's kind of like, you know, Wednesday. It's like hump, you know, like hump day. This is kind of like the hump day for winter. Like, I feel like we're in the, close to the middle of February. It's kind of like the hump season for winter, right? And we're like right there. And so a lot of people are are dealing with some crud. We're glad that you can join us online from wherever you are this morning, because I do believe God is going to speak to you. And so, um, yeah, we're going to have a good time today, but I'm excited about this message series for multiple reasons. Um, number one is that I believe it's going to help you, that for many of us, we, we just don't know how to do relationships very well, and we, we haven't been taught how to do it well. For many of us, we haven't been modeled how to do it well, and, and because of that, we need some help. And one of the things that I love about the Bible is the Bible is the manual for life. I mean, just like, you know, uh, the other day, something was going wrong with my car, and I had no idea what, what the deal was or how to fix it. And so what did I do? I went in the glove box and I got my car manual out and I looked up, you know, Appendix 7B and, and figure it out. Well, the Bible is our manual for life. And, and I know that's not popular in today's culture, but it's the reality. And anytime you veer away from God's plan and design and his word for your life, uh, we're gonna run into trouble. And anytime we start following the world's ways more than the ways of God, it's just not going to work. And for a lot of us, we, we have a mixture, you know, to some degree of trying to do relationships the world's way and trying to do them God's way. And it's not working very well. And so I believe this message series is really just going to help you uh, how to love better, how to love God better, how to love people better. And so um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump in before I get any further. I'm going to pray. And then we're going to jump into the word together this morning. And, and I believe that God is going to speak to you in a mighty way. So let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I'm so grateful that men and women faithfully gave their lives so that we can read your word, have your word, that we can preach your word, teach your word. And this morning, I pray that you would, your word would come alive. Your word would come alive, God, in the hearts of your people. I pray right now against every power, every principality, everything that would try to distract us from your word and from the preaching and teaching of your word. God, I know in my spirit, because you've spoke to my spirit in preparation for this message, that you want to go deep in our hearts this morning. And so, Father, we just yield ourselves to you and your word. And I pray for every single person right now that Holy Spirit, you would help them open up their hearts and help, and help them open up their minds to understand your word. And Lord, I pray that you would use your word in a way that transforms people's lives today, that we would not leave the same that we came in. So I pray for your anointing. I need it. I'm your mouthpiece this morning. I pray, Father, that you would speak through me to the hearts of your people. We give you the rest of this service. It's your service, it's your church, it's your time. And God, while we're on this, we, I pray for our nation. God, I pray that there would be a, a holy revival sweep across this great nation, just like you did in times in the past. And God, there, there would be a revival and a renewal that would turn people's hearts back to you. You're the only hope for us, God, for this nation. Would you do it in Jesus' name? Amen, amen, amen. Well, um, I want to read to you this, this scripture as we kind of get started here this morning. The whole idea around this uh, message series, and some of you might have seen our graphic and, and hear this uh, message series title. Really, a message series is one big message in many bite-sized parts. And so 
We've called this message series uh, Circles. I was praying to God, what, what do you want to do through it, in through this message series? And over my years of, of pastoring, I'm about to go into my 10th year. And so um, I have learned a lot in 10 years when it comes to helping people. And what I've found is that for many of us, we, what happens is we don't understand the depth of how God created us to be a part of one another, that we're all connected. You know, uh, there's this thing called seven degrees of separation. You might've heard of it. Uh, it's a joke that Kevin Bacon said that we're all, we're all connected to seven degrees somewhere to somebody in the world. In other words, that you know somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody and you're connected to them. And we see this all the time on Facebook or Instagram that we have different friends in different circles or different spheres of influence. And so when I started thinking about how that we're connected to God and we're connected to other people, I started thinking about spheres of influence and spheres of relationship. And these are circles, and, and there's principles, there are relational principles in the Bible that we need to learn from in order to do relationships well. And so I'm going to start out with this first verse in Romans chapter 12, verse 5. It says this, and this is out of the New American Standard Bible. So we, talking about all of us, now Paul is talking to the church in Rome. And so Rome immersed in a, a culture very similar to our American culture that we're immersed in today. And uh, he's speaking to them and he's reminding them, so we, all of us, okay, we who are many are one body in Christ and individually, me, are members of one another. And so you see Paul, the Apostle Paul, making this connection that I want to make for us today as we begin this message series, that our understanding is that we are all connected to one another, that we are members of one body. When we come into the body of Christ and we come into the family of God, that we are all connected one to another. We still have our own individuality, me, but we are part of we, I love uh, John Doan, he wrote a poem, and many of you may be familiar with it, but it says, no man is an island entire of itself. Every man is a piece of a continent, a part of the main. And I think he nailed it in that poem, because for a lot of us, especially, I, I call it the, the Montana cabin syndrome. And that is that, uh, you know, for a lot of us, we, we get tired of the brokenness in our world. We see it. We see the brokenness, we see the darkness, we see the craziness. And for a lot of us, also, even relationally, we may get tired of the hurt, the pain of different relationships. And if we're not careful, that those hurts and pains and the disillusionment of the world and the brokenness in the world can make us go into hiding. And it could force us to isolate. And so I call it the cabin in the woods syndrome. Whereas we're going to go to Montana. We're going to buy ourselves a cabin in the woods. I'm going to get my guns and I got my God. And I'm, we're just going to hole up in the cabin in the woods. And I got my guns. I got my God on it. I'm good. Right? I don't need nobody else. Just me and God. Just me and Jesus. And can I tell you that, that biblically speaking, that is bad doctrine. <laughs> And really, when you think about it, in the Old Testament, it, everything was very external. It was follow, you know, these rules for your life and these commandments and your life blessing is going to follow you. And yet, uh, a lot of the, most of the Old Testament was actually to point us to our need for a Savior. Is that we don't even have the ability to to do that. We don't have the ability to love God. We don't have the ability to love other people. When you think about the Ten Commandments, actually, the first four are all about us loving God and how we practically do that. The last six are about how we love and relate to other people. And so it was God giving us some relational rules, like this is how it's going to work. This is, this is how, these some practical ways that you can love God and love people. But what people figured out is I can't do that very well apart from God's help which made them cry out for their need for help and their need for a savior now fast forward to the New Testament Jesus shows up and he comes to show them and remind them what God looks like and he lives out God's character and God's heart for people and he encounters this religious veneer 
this hardness. He was, he was constantly rebuking the religious leaders of the day because they got into this way of thinking and way of life where it was all about my relationship with God and it didn't matter how I treated people as long as I was right with God. And Jesus totally came into that and shattered their thinking and their doctrine and it really messed them up to the point where they thought, man, this guy, he's, he's, he's all wrong. He's gotta be speaking like demons. Like this isn't God, let's kill him. And, and, and Jesus would always rebuke them. But, but he got, no pun intended, to the heart of the matter. And he would say, your heart is hard. You hypocrites, like you wash the outside of the cup, but the, but the real problem is inside, you're, you're not clean. Like you've got heart issues. Your soul isn't good. You have no love for people. Yeah, you say you love God, but you can't say, and here it is, you love God without also loving people. And he, he would, the perfect example of this, this is they thought, Worshiping God was the main priority, like forget other people, I'm gonna worship God. And so they, they would, when they would go to bring their gift, it was, I'm gonna bring my gift in the worship service and forget about other people because this is between me and God. And Jesus rebuked them and said, listen, when, when you are worshiping, if you have a gift and you're gonna bring it to the altar, he said, but you have something against your brother or sister, he said, you better drop that gift you know why? Because I'm not even going to receive your worship when you have something against your brother and sister that isn't right. And, and you think you could come and worship me and things could be okay with me when they're not okay with your brother and sister. And he said, no, leave your gift at the altar. Go make it right with your brother and sister and then come back and I'll accept your gift of worship. For many of us, we come to church every week and just like we did a few minutes ago, we worship God and, and we think, hey, it's just me and God, me and God are good while we have issues, relational issues with other people. And I believe through this message series and even beginning today, I wanna hit this right on the head that this is a false idea of spirituality. In fact, Jesus, or not Jesus, Paul would address this in 1 Corinthians in his letter to the church in Corinth. Because in Corinth, uh, in Greek and Roman uh, culture, just like in our culture today, everything was about the outside. It was about how you appear to other people, how you look to other people. In fact, the word hypocrite comes from Greek culture. It's a Greek word, and, and it means you're like an actor on stage. In other words, people see one thing on the outside, but they don't see the real you, what's going on in the inside. And if we're not careful, and this is why Paul addressed us, we can, we can become the same way. We could come to church every week and we could raise our hands and worship and worship Jesus and we can have all the appearance of we're good on the outside, but yet there's a lot of stuff on the inside that isn't good. And it's messing with our ability to love other people the way that God loves us, unconditionally, unselfishly. And, and, Paul, and Paul would speak to this in 1 Corinthians 13. And I love this because, because sometimes, uh, it, just like in the Corinthian church, it became all about the gifts of the Spirit. God was moving powerfully and it became how gifted you are and are you using that gift? And, and just like it can be today, look in our society, all gifts are elevated. How good, today we're gonna, we're gonna worship this little ball, right? <laughs> And, and we're going to yell at the TV and scream and shout. And there's nothing wrong with that. I love football. Hey, and I love me some football New York Giants. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm preaching to you. And, and I just hope this gets in your spirit a little bit today and that you become a Giants fan, hopefully. I'm from New York, and, and I couldn't be proud to wear this for many years, and I'm proud to wear it today. <laughs> Amen. And uh, so I'm going I'm gonna, to I'm gonna do what you're going to do. I'm going to have a good time with some friends and family. We're going to eat some good food. We're going to watch, a, 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 hopefully, a good football game. But, but how, can we, how can we have a, a good time and, and, and worship other things and, and yet have dysfunction in our relationships? And Paul said, we elevate the gifts. We're going to cheer for people who are really gifted. But Paul is reminding them, hey, you could have a lot of gifts. You could be spiritually gifted to the nth degree. But if you don't have this one thing, you're nothing in God's eyes. Like to people, 
They may ooh and awe over your gift and, and you may use it in the church to make yourself feel better. But Paul says this, 1 Corinthians 13, 1, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but I what? I do not have love. I'm only a resounding gong and a clanging cymbal. In other words, everything you're doing might look good to people, but it's hurting the very ears of God. All you're doing is making a lot of noise, but you're not doing anything that lasts for eternity, which is to love people. Jesus, when, when he would be constantly asked, hey, they were always trying to trick him and trap him into, hey, boil it down first. What's, what's the greatest commandment? I know there's 10, but can you give us like, you know, the, the heart of it? Like what is... If you would say, what's, what's your top one? Give us your top one. And this is how Jesus responded. He said, you know it. <laughs> You're trying to trick me, but I'll remind you. And he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength. But then he throws him a curveball. And he says, and the second one is just like it. In other words, you cannot separate these two commandments. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. And at that, they would be like, whoa, wait, wait, wait a minute. No, blasphemy. It's love the Lord your God with all your strength, with all your heart, with all your mind. And, all. and Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. Listen, you can't have one without the other. Remember that? I think it was Sesame. Can't have one without the other. Yeah, I'm going back to my childhood days, y'all. Forgive me. But... um. Jesus was trying to get it through to him. And what I want us to get is that you cannot be spiritually mature and have a love that, isn't, that is immature. In other words, you can't be spiritually mature and be emotionally immature. But this is the problem for a lot of us. We, we say we love God, and, and I believe that we do. Generally, genuinely love God and have a heart for him. But I want to also wake us up to the fact that if we are going to love God the way that God tells us we can love him is that we have to learn to love people in the same way that God loves us. And actually our, our measure of how much we love God isn't by how much we worship him, how much we say we love God, how much we proclaim our own Christianity, how much we read our Bible, pray, or go to church. The measure of how much we love God is how well we love other people. Let that sink in. And when you start to measure how much we love God by that, what we find out very quickly is, well, I got gaps. <laughs> I, 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 got, I got gaps in my love that I need to give to God and figure out. And so the title of my message to you this morning is Healthy Me Equals Healthy We. Healthy Me equals healthy me. If I'm not healthy, I can't have healthy relationship with you. Healthy relationships, and this is, this is where a lot of us go wrong. We start this process of trying to have healthier relationships with focusing on changing things on the outside and doing things differently. And I'm here to tell you this morning, I've been counseling people for a long time, and I've had way too many married couples, broken people that uh, have divorced or on the edge of divorce or just have the dysfunction in their home. They're married, but they're not happy. They're married, but they would rather leave instead of stay. Why? Because their marriage is broken. Why is their marriage broken? I, here's what I've learned to start out with, is helping people see that when two broken people, so you got two circles, right? You got two individual people, and when you come together, the Bible says that a man and a woman, a man and a woman, that's God's design. I still believe in that, even though our culture is trying to throw everything at you and say, no, that's not true. It could be a man and a man, man and woman. And, and the Bible, if you believe the Bible to be the infallible word of God, and if you believe God as the creator and designer of humanity and all of creation, then you have to understand that God created man and woman to come together and two shall become one. And so you take, I saw this in my own marriage. I'm speaking to you out of my own experience. You take two broken people 
that bring with us all our baggage from our past, all our brokenness, all our hurts, all our wounds, and you take two broken people and you bring them together, it does not make us whole. It just means now you have two broken people that are trying to be one and it's not working the right way. And I believe that we need to relook at how even how the process of salvation, and you might be like, what do you mean, Pastor Lance, the process of salvation? I thought I got saved the day that I raised my hand in church and, and I said a prayer, the pastor led me in a prayer and they gave me a Bible that day and they told me I was saved and I was going to heaven. Yes, you did. But our, our way of looking at salvation, I believe, is very different than the way that God looks at salvation, even in the Word of God. If we look at the Word of God and get a better, more complete understanding of, of what the Bible means by salvation, I think it will help us in this process. In fact, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, I love this verse because it reminds us, unlike some of the doctrine that is circling around in Christianity today that says that God uh, predicts or he predestines some to be saved and some not to be saved. And I know this could be confusing because of some of the language in the Bible, but when you really look at it and you look at the totality of the whole of Scripture, you'll understand something, that God isn't just determining your destiny up in heaven playing some chess game saying okay you over here I like you you could be saved you over here no I don't like you so much you're not you're gonna go to hell that isn't the God I know and and, and so this this verse is one of the verses that I believe proves that first Timothy chapter 2 verse 4 it says this talking about God God I'll insert God here because that's who he's talking about God who wants how many people? Some people, the really good people, the really religious people, the people that come to church on Super Bowl Sunday. Those people, no. People that are in church, outside of church, no. All people. God wants, in fact, that word wants is desires. Do you know that God's deepest desire is for that all people to what? To be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. But we know from scripture that you can't even come to the knowledge of the truth until you've been what the Bible says, born again. In other words, your spirit becomes born again. You surrender your life to God and you're gonna have an opportunity to do that at the end of service. But I wanna dive into that one word, saved. Because that's where I think we haven't been taught well what salvation is. And we haven't been taught what the Bible actually says about salvation. That word saved in the original uh, language that it was written in that Paul wrote to the church, uh, or I'm sorry, to Paul wrote to Timothy, that word saved is the Greek word sozo. And if you're familiar with that word, that word literally means not just that we're saved, which it does, and that you are going to uh, be with Jesus in eternity, that if you died today, that you can have the assurance that of your salvation, that you would be accepted into heaven, and that God would welcome you into heaven. But it's so much more than that. And I want to help us with that because you have to have this understanding that sozo means to be saved. Yes, we are saved from damnation because of the grace of God through Jesus Christ. But it also means that we are healed that we're delivered from all our brokenness, our wounds of the past. And here's the one that I wanna uh, focus in on, that we are to be made whole. And when you think about a circle, a circle is whole. But for a lot of us, through the pain of our past and through things that we've experienced on this earth, and, and because we, we live in a world, a fallen world, where sin rules and reigns, and the Bible says we've all sinned and we've all fallen short of the glory of God, that we have a very real enemy. Jesus said in John 10, 10, I've come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. So that's what Jesus offered. But he also wanted to remind us, but the thief, you have an enemy and he, he's a thief and he wants to kill, steal, and destroy the work of God in your life. In other words, he wants to take the wholeness that God intended for you and for the relationships in your life, and he wants to use people that have sinned against you, hurt you, the things that you've gone through in your life, even from your childhood experiences, to break that circle and to come in with his ugly lies 
and try to convince you that not only were you abused, but you're not worthy of love. That's why you were abused. You want to know why you're divorced? Because you're ugly. Because you're not worthy of love. And so you see this all throughout Scripture that, that the enemy tries to attack our identity. And I'll get into that in a, in a moment. But when, I, when you break down this verse and you look at it from the context of now understanding what saved means, the word sozo, I want to read it to you again. God desires all men and women to be sozo, to be saved, to be healed, to be delivered, to be made whole. And when you begin this process, because it is a process, the theological term is called sanctification. And this isn't taught a lot in modern day church. It's like, and I think it's actually messed some of us up the way the gospel's been presented to us. It's like, hey, receive Jesus and your life is gonna be better. And it is, right? Until we realize that, yeah, even though I'm born again and Jesus changed my life and I could be excited about that and we notice that God frees us from some of those uh, desires that we had before, sooner or later you figure out, but I still got some jacked up stuff going on in here. I still got some hurt from my past as what the Bible would call the old man keeps coming back the patterns that I used to live in, the thoughts that I used to have, they didn't all go away because a preacher waved a magic wand in a service. Now, hear my heart. I believe God can touch us in a moment. And I'm so blessed when he does that. And maybe today's that day for some of you, that at the end of this service, and that's my prayer, is that the Holy Spirit touches you and heals you of some of those past wounds. But in my experience, even when that happens, we have to learn to walk out our healing. And that could be even harder. But for a lot of us, this is a process of over time partnering with God and the Holy Spirit and allowing the word of God and, the, and, and coming to the knowledge as we come to more and more knowledge of the truth of who God is, who we are, and, and how we see people through the lens of God instead of seeing people through the lens of our own brokenness. Because you understand something this morning, you don't see people and you don't see God as they are. You see them as you are. So right now, all the accumulation of your, your past, your hurts, your wounds, and everything you've gone through, they act as a filter over the eyes of your heart that now you see God and you see yourself and you see other people through that broken filter. So here's what I want to start off to reminding us, and it's not good news, that we're incomplete people. We're not whole yet. We're not complete yet. We're in process. And you have to learn to embrace that if you're going to be a follower of Christ. Otherwise, what happens is the enemy will start to beat you up. And he'll start to put his finger on all the areas in your life that you're not like God. That you're broken, that you still, you still cuss, you still chew, and you hang out with girls that do. And the enemy will jump on you and, and try to tell you that you're not worthy to cut. You shouldn't even be here this morning. He's already tried to tell me you sh you're not even qualified to preach this word, which I'm not. But by the grace of God, he's called me to. And I am far from perfect. I am not complete, but I am on a journey with God. And I'm thankful that we serve a God, that he is the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. He's the one that started this faith journey with us. And he's the one that will do what? He will complete it. Right. In, other word, in other words, he will close the gap. We've got gaps in our walk with God and in our character and God wants to close those gaps so that we can be more whole and more complete. And then we can have healthier relationships. But it starts with me if we're going to have a healthy we. It starts with me. You could try to fix your spouse. You could try to fix the people. You could try to blame them. You could try to blame God. But let me tell you something. It starts with me. Me first. I need that healing. I need to be made whole. And I really remind you something, that this is, this is the fundamental problem. Our wounds become walls. You ever wonder why we don't have deeper relationships with people? You ever wonder why we struggle to connect heart to heart? 
Now, I believe God's design for relationships is that just like in our relationship with him, it's the principle of the cross. You don't believe me? That, that our relationship with God and relationship with others is equal. Look at the cross. It's vertical, our personal relationship with God, and it's horizontal, our relationship with other people. Our relationship with God has to and is the only way that is going to change and affect the people around us so that we can have happy and healthy relationships. But the problem is we're incomplete people and we're wounded. And when I say wound, I mean there are things, and I'll tell you the story. I was listening to um, another pastor preach and he was talking about you know, this story and maybe put yourself in the story. Going to the park on a sunny afternoon, maybe you know, down, downtown at the, the park down there. I can't remember where all the ducks are everywhere everywhere and uh woodland park and um i actually had a, a talk with one of my sons at that park and and you go to the park and you see this dad with the eight-year-old little girl and you see the dad acting all nervous and he's, he's in a he's dressed up in a suit and tie and and his daughter's just sitting there uh licking an ice cream cone enjoying herself on a, on a summer day but the dad's all fidgety and you can tell just something's up just by looking at him and what you don't know is he's about to have a conversation and he starts out just nervously saying, now, honey, I want to let you know. It would actually, the daughter starts out and says, daddy, when are you going to come home? And the father looks at her and says, honey, that's, that's kind of why I brought you to the park today. I need to talk to you about something. And he begins to tell her that, you know, mommy and daddy love each other, but sometimes things just don't work out. And sometimes it's better if, if people just separate and, and live different lives. And, and mommy and daddy have, have tried to work things out, but they're just not working out. And so mommy and daddy are going to get a divorce. And, and she says, daddy, what, what does that mean? And it means daddy's not coming home, honey. And she looks at him confused. And why? If you love each other, why can't you come home? And why can't you work it out? And, and he tries to do his best to explain it to her, but it doesn't do the job. Like, you can't explain that to an eight-year-old. But what he doesn't realize is that decision, and, and hear my heart this morning, I realize that there's many of you in the room and, and some of you watching online that you've been, you've been there, you've been through divorce. This, don't let the enemy reap condemnation on you. That's not the purpose of me telling the story. The purpose of me telling the story is, is for us to realize that everything that happens in our life can wound us. And if we don't allow the Holy Spirit and God to bring healing and wholeness to those wounds, those wounds, one brick at a time, become walls over our heart. And we think they're there to protect us, but the reality is, is while they're protecting us and not letting anybody in, they're also not letting God in. And just like in, in the garden, in the very beginning in Genesis, when Adam and Eve sinned, they went into hiding and they hid from God because they were naked. They realized, I'm poor, I, I, I'm, I'm uncovered. Like you could see all my flaws. And so what did they do? They hid and they made for themselves covering. They made for themselves a wall. And God came looking for them and said, where are you? And they were hiding from the very person that could actually bring healing and wholeness to their lives. But for many of us, we have the same tendency. We're hiding from God. We're hiding behind our walls that our wounds have put up over the years and we've allowed those wounds one brick after another pink floyd had a right all we are then is just another brick in the wall and our lives become every time we get hurt and it's a similar wound it becomes another brick in the wall and over time that wall gets higher and higher and higher to the point where we become despondent shut down and we don't have intimacy in our relationships we don't have a depth to our relationships and we wonder why we don't feel close to anybody, including God. And we got to let the Holy Spirit begin to break down those walls one brick at a time 
and rebuild our lives on the foundation of Jesus Christ, the cornerstone, and what he did on the cross. That by his wounds, we are made whole. We are healed. It's a similar word to that word sozo. Because here's what you have to understand. Our wounds over time can distort our view of ourselves. So now, not only did we sin or we, we sinned against, not only did we, we maybe lie or somebody lied to us, we're, we're a liar. Not only did we look at porn or we um, had sex outside of marriage, now you're a pervert. Now you're a deadbeat dad because you're a workaholic in your home. And it's not that you, you, you have a, a, a working problem. No, you're, you're a deadbeat dad. It's hopeless. You'll never be a good dad. You see, this is, this is exactly what the enemy wants to do. He wants to have you start to identify and pervert your true identity in Christ so that you start to identify with the wounds over your life because wounds become words that distort our view of ourselves and our identity. Wounds become words that become the names that define us. You know when you go to a conference, sometimes you get one of those, I hate these things, those little stick-on name tags? Is it, my name is, and you put Lance, you know, from Hope Church. And, you know, those things, I don't like those things. They're annoying. I don't like to keep them on. I think they're kind of silly, but they serve a purpose. But here's what the enemy does. You not only sinned, you not only uh, drank too much the night before, you're a loser. You're an addict. It's one of my, one of my beefs with uh, the seven steps, AA. I, I think it's a great program. And actually, if you look at how it started, it started with a really great way, uh, with a God encounter and, and with the foundation of God helping you. But I don't like the fact that they ha you have to stay, stand up and say, I am an alcoholic. Because what it does is it, uh, you're identifying with the old man who you used to be, not who you are in Christ and who God says you are. And, and this is what the enemy loves to do. He loves to take those, my name is, and he loves to write, sinner, Divorcee, deadbeat dad, dirty, unlovable. He loves to put those labels and put them where? On your heart. And those words become walls. That, and those words become what we believe about ourselves. And what you believe about yourself is how you see yourself, and you start to identify with those lies instead of the very truth of God. Because here's the problem. We live out our labels. So how you see yourself and what you believe to be true about who you are is what you live up to. They actually did a, a study on this years ago where they took two different classes of students. Some of them were A students. Like these were in the honors classes. And then there were the C barely getting by students. But what they did is they told the C, D, F students they were the A-plus students and they were going to get put in this special class for really smart people, the honors class. And they told the ones that were honors students, hey, you're going to get put in this special class to help you kind of raise up your grades and, and stuff like that. And what happened is those students that were failing, that had DC, they started to live up to the label. They started to live up to who other people said they were and what they saw in them. They started to identify in that. And the reverse happened as well. The other group started to identify as, man, I'm just not that smart. And so we have to understand that well, how you see yourself and the lies that we believe because of the wounds and the words that were associated with those wounds, that over time we start to accept the labels that the enemy wants to put on our heart and we start to see ourselves that, that way. And when you see yourself that way, you start to live out your labels. You start to act accordingly. So you didn't just lie, now you're a liar and that becomes a part of what you do. You get it? Now, I want to show you this in, in Mark chapter five, verse 33. There's an example where Jesus, um, there's this woman who had this issue of blood for 12 years. 12 years. Now, if you understand uh, the Levitical laws, the Hebrew laws, if you had uh, issues of blood, you were considered unclean. And they would actually yell unclean. Like if you were on the street, you had to wear that uncleanness as a label. And every time, no matter where they went, they, they were supposed to be outside the city. 
They couldn't associate with people. You couldn't touch them because they're unclean. In fact, if they were walking down the road, you would have to start yelling, unclean, unclean, unclean. So everybody would know, oh, back away from them, get away from them. You don't want to get near them. They're unclean people. And so here's this woman for 12 years, and we don't even know her name in the Bible. How do we know her? By her wound. The woman with the issue of blood. We identify her by her wound, but not Jesus. And she, she doesn't even want to, like many other people, yell out to Jesus and, and, and ask him to help her. She's too embarrassed to do that. She, she's too insecure because after 12 years of, of life going out of her and identifying with her wound, she's too embarrassed. She thinks to herself, if I could just touch the hem of his garment and he doesn't even know, and maybe I can just sneak in and I can get healed because she believes in the power of Jesus. And, he, and she does just that. And power comes out of Jesus and she gets healed. And check this out in verse 33. It says, then the woman knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. But look what Jesus, how he responds. He doesn't say, hey, woman of the issue with blood. No, he says, it's, it says he said to her, daughter, daughter, your faith has healed you, sozoed you. Go in peace and be freed from your sufferings. I believe Jesus used that word and it's translated sozo for a reason because that woman didn't just get healed physically, she got healed emotionally. Jesus ripped the label of the, the woman with the issue of blood, the unclean, 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 unclean. And Jesus said, no, you're not that anymore. I'm ripping that label off your heart and I'm putting a new one on you. You're my daughter. You're the one I love. You're the one I stop for in the middle of a crowd and say, you touched me because you need me. You prayed, and some of you here this morning, for the same exact reason. You need to touch Jesus and to be healed. And Jesus doesn't point finger out and nobody else does here and judge you. But he's ripping off that. He's going to begin a process because this is going to be a process over the next five, six weeks. In fact, even on Wednesday nights, that's why I'm pairing this with an emotionally healthy relationship. Uh, Wednesday nights from 638 right here. You could sign up for it online. The QR code's there. And, and we're going to dive deeper in the practical ways that we can love people by the way we talk to each other and resolve conflict and how we allow the Holy Spirit to, to filter our hearts and, and figure out what's going on in here. But we got to change the label. I love W.C. Fields. He says, it ain't what they call you, it's what you answer to. But too many of us, we're answering to those labels that have been on our hearts. Because here's the deal. I'm going to go through the last real quick for for the sake of time. Our wounds don't just distort how we see ourselves. Our wounds distort how we see other people. There's the story um, about a man named Joseph Merrick, AKA the Elephant Man, who was born in the late 1800s in Leicester, England. And at that time, um, as entertainment, they would have these freak shows where they would take people who were really different, had different skills, but also really unique, sometimes gross looking people, and people would pay good money to come into the quote unquote freak show. And this man, Joseph Merrick, unfortunately, he was born with a lot of deformities. His head was the size of a, a normal man's waist. He had, his fingers were all just deformed. One arm was twice the size of the other, and he could barely walk or move. And when people looked at him, they screamed in horror. And so this group, they, they said, hey, you want to make some money? And they put him in the freak show and labeled him the, come see the elephant man. So he, they would trounce him out and people would, oh, in horror. And years, that wound just developed over him. And he started to identify as the elephant man. So one day he, his soul couldn't, couldn't take it anymore and he, he ran away. And it says police found him in the, in the corner of a dark alley, crawled up and they could barely touch him because he just, he wanted to fight everybody. 
He was just done with life. But they were able to convince him to get up and they didn't know where to take him. So they called this, this hospital and, and they found this one doctor who's a surgeon that said, hey, I'll, I'll take him in, bring him here, bring him to me. The story goes, the nurse, the very first time she went to bring him in some, from some food, she drops the tray in horror and runs out of the room screaming, just reaffirming that wound. One day, the doctor had a brilliant idea. He said, we need to reverse the curse. He said, the next time that you go in to bring him food, here's what I want you to do. I don't want you to just put the food down. I want you to look him in the eye and I want you to smile at him. And I want you to shake his hand. Can you do that? She said, yeah, I think I can do that. And that's exactly what she did. And that man that day, it says that when she did that, he broke down on the floor and started sobbing for 24 hours straight. Why? Because somebody showed him, you matter. You've got value. I'm not afraid of you. From that moment on, it began a healing process in his life to where he started coming in and he would be smiling looking up and started interacting with the nurses a little bit more and a little bit more day to day to, to where they said at his eulogy many years later after he died that he was the happiest man that they knew. And the doctor would take him out, sneak him into plays and he would, he would see those plays with the doctor. He'd take him out in the field and, and see because of his wound, he started seeing people as the enemy. And for many of us, because we've been wounded by people because maybe you're divorced and a husband abused you, didn't treat you good, now all men are terrible. They can't be trusted. And we start to have a distorted view of other people. And lastly, our wounds distort our view of God. Not only do we see people as hard, calloused, distant, depending on how our, our family of origins is how we grew up, whether we had a father present or not, how our family dynamic was or lack thereof. See, parents, the way that God designed it is the family unit. Parents are supposed to model God. They're supposed to protect us, cover us, give us identity. But for a lot of us, that's not the case, is it? So we grow up and we're trying to figure out who we are and, and we feel uncovered, so we're insecure people. And our view of God starts to become that not only was my dad distant, but God's distant. And he's unloving and he's uncaring and he doesn't care about my life. And unless we start to see God for who he really is, for God so loved you that he gave his one and only son. Jesus, you can turn the lights down. We're about to close. God so loved you that he was willing to come to earth, not to wait for you to touch him so that he could come and touch you. And he could begin bringing healing and wholeness to your life and, and start to rip off those labels that have been on your heart, messing with how you see yourself. To bring healing to those wounds and to start to kick down those walls. Do you know what we sing that song about God's reckless love? And some people bash it because, you know, God's love isn't reckless. But when you understand that, that Jesus would literally go through a wall to break you out of it, that when you go back to the book of Hosea and you, you find out that God loves you so much, just he used Hosea as an example where his wife was cheating on him with other, being a prostitute and cheating on him with other men. And he tells Hosea, go find your wife and bring her back and go love her with the love of the Lord. It's a picture of what God would do for you to break down the walls in your heart, to rip the labels off of you. And I believe this is where it starts, right here, right now. God isn't hard. He's not mad at you. He loves you, and I know we've heard that. But I pray right now in this moment that you would experience it. How many of you in closing would just say, Pastor Lance, I, 
man, what you're describing is me. I, I've allowed these wounds too long to stay in my life. Well, here's what I'd say, friend. Today's the day, take responsibility for your soul. Stop blaming other people, stop blaming the past, stop blaming your spouse, and take responsibility. You may not be responsible for what happened to you, but you are responsible, you're response-able. You're able to respond by choosing how you will respond. So begin the process of searching your heart. David said, God, search my heart. Know me. See if there be any, anything in me. Right? And then pursue Jesus like that woman. She pursued Jesus for her healing. You're going to begin a process now over the next five, six weeks as we go through this journey together of pursuing Jesus for your healing. And how many of you would say this morning, I need to be healed. I need to be made whole by Jesus. Thank you, friend. I'm raising my hand. Would you stand to your feet right now? I want to pray for you as we close. Proverbs 4.20 says, My son, my daughter, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ears to my words. Stop listening to the lies of the devil. Don't let these words out of your sight. Do what with them? Keep them within your heart. In other words, I'm going to put a new word over your heart. Their life to those who find them and what their health to one's whole body. So above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows out of it. So right now, Holy Spirit, come. Just lift your hands. Just lift your hands all over this place. I believe God is going to do a mighty work. We're going to have our prayer team over here to my left, to your right. And you can sign up. We have several different ministries that can help you on this journey. We have a ministry called Restoring the Foundations. We have Freedom Prayer. We have Living Waters. We have a, a group about loss and grief. And we have this group coming up on Wednesday nights. We have more than just today. But I believe right now God wants to touch some of you and begin this healing process. So come Holy Spirit. I'm just going to open up even this altar as we sing this last song. And we sing it over ourselves and over our families. I'm going to speak the name of Jesus over your heart. I speak the name of Jesus over your heart. I say, you are not your wounds. You are not the words that people have spoken over you. You are free to be who Jesus made you and designed you to be in Christ Jesus. No longer will we believe the lies. Today, I take authority. Just pray this over yourself. I take authority over every lie of the enemy. And I cast it at the feet of Jesus. And today, I am free of those wounds and those words in Jesus' mighty name.